0: You know, they say a dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. Well, why don't you make that dream come true with Squarespace? They make it easy to turn your idea into its own unique website. You can showcase your work, blog or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. It's that simple. You have a mouse, you have a trackpad, you have third way of clicking that I don't know about. You can do it. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever once that website's set up. So head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also sick and tired of all these comic book movies being so professional. Come on, Hollywood. Why do, why do you keep recruiting competent, hardworking people and, and giving them sufficient budgets and being thoughtful about which stories you tell. You're too on the ball, you know? I mean, sure, sure, you blow it with Superman movies now, those are really bad, but those are like sad bad, you know, sad bad. I want the good old comic book days of a Superman adventure, being Superman versus Batman in Badminton, the racket sport. That's what I want. I want Silly Bad. Where do I get that on screen? Nowhere. Point is, you and me and the entire world world are in the orbit of the newish movie Avengers Infinity War and the entire Marvel structure that that built up. Uh, It's kind of like the Super Bowl, right? Like either you saw Infinity War or you know it happened and like a whole, whole bunch of people liked it because it's an institution at this point. Comic book movies are a slick, successful thing. Uh, Marvel's been doing it for at least a decade and stuff like Batman's been doing it before that. We've also got Wonder Woman on the rise now. We've even got a ton of movies based on, I'd call them, Independent comics, not DC and Marvel. Everything from Hellboy to Sin City to Kingsman to Kickass, and even the biggest TV show in the world is The Walking Dead, based on an Image Comics company property. And here's the fascinating thing about being alive while tucked within this world where comics generate the slickest movies and TV we get comic books are. Weird. Comic books were weird before this happened. They stayed weird during it. There's also like crazy product placement and silly decisions and other things that are very unprofessional and don't make any sense. And I'm so excited to talk about all that and learn about it with my guest. Cracked editor Syriac Lamar knows his stuff about comics, and I mean the thing you read. Our topic is comic books that turned insane out of the blue, and within that, there's kind of a second topic of how that happens, what leads to it, what generates comics, where Batman needs to wear a different colored uniform every night for no reason, or people are suddenly their own children or their own parents, all these kind of nutty comic book plot lines and decisions, where do they come from, how do they happen, and boy, are they fun. It's time to hear those reasons. It's time to have a goofy old time with Superman. So please sit back or continue to write that letter to DC Comics about how Swamp Thing should turn into Superman and then back. There's a reason. Uh, Just ask me. It's out there. Either way, enjoy this episode of The Cracked Podcast with Syriac Lamar. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. We are joined on the phone by Cracked editor, columnist, so much more, Syriac Lamar. Syriac, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic today, Alex.
1: Thank you very much for having me on the podcast.
0: I'm so glad you're on because we're talking about comic books that turned insane out of the blue or had just some kind of bizarre thing going on in the text because uh, you know so much about comic books. I think like I've learned a lot from you, even just about Superman and Batman alone uh, from your work on Cracked. Uh, like how, how did you get started reading comic books? How far back do you go?
1: I mean, it goes back uh, actually to my mom. I give my mom a lot of credit for giving me into comics as kids. Uh, we read uh Ten-ten comics, you know, the French wow. uh, boy reporter who is always like fighting uh, opium smugglers or cobras or <laughs> right. some combination thereof or a waterfall. Standard childhood. Yeah. <laughs> and so in fact, we we're as kids, we we read so many of these comics that we would name our Mickey Mouse puppet opium because uh, we just thought it was a fun word and it kept popping up at the cent Comics simply because he thought opium smugglers uh, so much. And after that, uh, I read the X-Men during the big 1990s Comic boom where you saw Jim Lee's X-Men being the hottest thing out there. And uh, just kind of fast forward many, many years. And I ended up kind of doing some kind of comics journalism in a previous gig. And that was a lot of going to Comic-Con and interviewing writers and uh, illustrators. And it was super fun.
0: That's really cool, man. Yeah, this is a fun one because there is so much just full-on insanity in the history of comic books. Like, I think people maybe don't necessarily realize that in the in the wider public, especially now that the movies are so professional. Like Superhero movies are pretty slickly put together all the time. And then you've introduced me to like, hey, there was a whole storyline where Superman and Batman
1: played badminton
0: and it got real
1: intense. <laughs> precisely, precisely, yeah. The kind of astounding part of the modern superhero phenomenon is due to the way that Uh, Marvel was parceling out its movie rights in the 1990s. Uh, You had, for example, Fox making the X-Men movies and Sony making the Spider-Man movies. And this is because Marvel was having financial difficulties in the 1990s. Uh, you, You see them build their cinematic stable with essentially what were B and C listers in the 1990s. So only like 20 years ago, I mean, even prior to 2008, Iron Man, characters like Iron Man and Captain America and four, they were all B-listers like they were essentially you know backbenchers to people like you know Wolverine and Spider-Man and they were even in the 1990s they were not part of Marvel's uh, marquee lineup so it's very surreal to see all of these kind of secondary characters become multi-billion dollar franchises, at least in my own lifetime. It's, it's very, very strange.
0: I keep uh, remembering now, because we have Infinity War out now, that the first Iron Man movie was in 2008. So within yeah, yeah. like a 10-year period, these characters that nobody liked, this, I shouldn't say nobody liked, but uh, these relatively unpopular characters are the biggest property in all of media.
1: Tony Stark is bigger than Clark Kent. That's madness.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I grew up... I didn't have, like, comic uh, comics to buy weekly, but I'd read a lot of graphic novels. And I'd also watch stuff like The Adventures of Lois and Clark, which is almost like a Superman <laughs> is so popular, we can just do a rom-com about him on the side because we're doing everything else, too. And now it's like, who cares about Superman? We've got Iron Man, the character that I think only comics readers and Ghostface Killa were fans of until pretty recently. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Also, these characters, I feel like... I just occasionally remember that while we have a few movies going on, we have just like thousands of people maybe writing them weekly across the last, I don't know, 80 years or so, if you go as far back as the late 30s when a lot of these started. It seems like a lot of different writers get to get their hands on them. And then maybe that's one way we get crazy plot lines like we're going to get into. Does that feel right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Would you like to hear a really really good example of one? Yes, yes, yes. So... Going back to the Avengers, back when uh, uh, you know characters like Iron Man and Captain America and Thor were not at the forefront of a lot of uh, Marvel's marketing and a lot of their media properties, um, what they did in the early 2000s was uh, they got a writer named Mark Millar to write a comic called The Ultimate. and this took place in the Ultimate Universe, which was essentially a pared-down modern-day version of the Marvel Universe. Uh, that was not saddled with 60 years of uh, superhero continuity. So it was a jumping on point for people who wanted to try out an Avengers comic and um, didn't want to read about how Captain America was a werewolf uh, at some <laughs> point in the 80s. And uh, he watched Richard Nixon shoot himself in the face in the 70s. It was a good jumping on point for new readers. of had a very... Um, hollywood blockbuster sensibility with the artwork for one
0: thing i i have heard in general that captain america like dealt with watergate by quitting and becoming nomad and just like leaving the country i didn't know he was also a werewolf later on was that like an american werewolf in london style thing
1: uh, i think he was i think werewolf serum was involved now don't quote <laughs> me on that but there was definitely some werewolf serum i think i don't want angry letters about the improper, you know, lycanthropic transformations of Captain America, you know, no, it was actually a curse when it was, uh, you know, when it was a curse and it was not werewolf serum. So, um, so what happened was, uh, you had this comic that was, uh, it was kind of also edgy and Millar was known for, uh, Millar who actually, he wrote the comics that were the basis for the films, Wanted, Kingsman, uh, Kick-Ass. So he was like, uh, very much, you know, a writer of the 2000s, so what he would do in the comics was make subtle jokes about um, how Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, who were Magneto's children, were kind of having a very incesty love affair. So And it was just subtle gags it was put in. It was nothing nothing so, you know, overt to be crude and crass. So Millard gets off the Ultimates. There are a few volumes of Ultimates. Um, he Leaves after Ultimates uh, two. He comes back later, but in Ultimate three, you had a new writer on the comic, and th- the writer decided that the basis for the first issue would involve uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch actually affirming their incestuous love affair in public, and oh, no. uh, Captain America looking confused why his teammates are brother and sister and sleeping with each other. It's it's a very it goes from basically kind of like you know mid two thousand edge lord humor to just like. Totally surreal, extremely quickly and accidentally, and uh, it's and so you have. I, I'm not even kidding you. These scenes of a befuddled Captain America, you know, with this like kind of blank expression on his face as he hears that Quicksilver and Scarlet, which his two teammates are sleeping with each other and they are related, and and the rest of the Avengers are taking it kind of weirdly. Like this isn't like a big deal. Uh, Captain America is kind of the stand-in for the reader. His his mute, shocked expression is you know there to say what why is marvel doing this with these characters <laughs> and to make matters even yeah. stranger several issues later their incest is corroborated by wolverine who might be scarlet witch's father and he watches quicksilver and scarlet witch uh have sex with each other so wolverine is watching his daughter have a incestuous affair with her half-brother like and yeah okay yes and it's it's also worth mentioning this was before uh, Disney bought Marvel. <laughs> <So, laughs> you will never ever see that plot line like anything oh. on that caliber happen again. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> I have no idea what they were thinking. It was and mind you, Ultimate 3 wasn't some obscure comic. This thing sold was top of the charts right away. Uh, it had um, yeah, it was it was a marquee comic book. It was I mean, it was moving. It was moving and that is the plot they went with for reasons I will never understand.
0: My understanding of like a major comic book it sells what like millions of dollars worth of sales. Like it is it is read by a lot of people, right? Like this isn't some yeah. niche thing that only like one message board on the internet was spreading around or something.
1: Oh no, and, and Ultimates for Ultimates actually was the comic series that you can uh, largely credit with inspiring the Avengers we know today. Their, the lineup is very similar. You have uh-huh. Nick Fury um, in, in the Ultimates. They joke how Nick Fury in an Ultimates movie would be played by Sam Jackson. Well, lo and behold, Sam Jackson plays uh, Nick Fury in the Avengers film. So it's oh, very funny it thing. that's like, yeah, wow. absolutely. Uh, the, the artist J.G. Jones drew Nick Fury in the Ultimates to look like Sam Jackson, and Sam Jackson in turn plays Nick Fury in the Ultimates. <laughs> Reality mirroring art in a very hilarious way.
0: Because also, as you described, the key uh, the key characters of this timeless uh, American, good old fashioned romance. Yeah, yep. Quicksilver is probably the best character in the new X Men movies. Like he, he's in those <laughs> the, like slow motion sequences that are set to seventies music that are very good. And then uh, Scarlet Witch is played by Elizabeth Olsen in the Avengers movies and a major character. And a couple years before all these movies started, you're saying they had like. A really not okay romance yeah. in
1: a comic book where people I could, could have, just I, be hitting each other and stuff, you know? We don't need the I romance have, at all. There was definitely some like sorry eyed plucky kid who went to a comic book shop after Age of Ultron and said, I want a comic with my favorite characters, Quicksilver <laughs> and Scarlet right. Witch, and five Ultimate 3. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that happened.
0: What a what a off the rails thing. I know Mark Millar like goes for it like those movies you described are as far as I know they even toned down a little bit in the movies what he really goes for in the his comic books but that's amazing that a next writer was like clearly we blow this out clearly we just go for it and the next writer
1: actually the next writer also was not some fringe writer but the writer who wrote that issue was Jeff Loeb who now runs Marvel TV like he's one of the head honchos and the guy making all the Marvel Netflix shows so it is a baffling comic. Right, he received a well-deserved promotion after writing that comic. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea that Disney's like, love the work you did with Ultimate 3, where that scene where Quicksilver and Star Wars do it <laughs> while Wolverine watches them. Here, have have control of all of the TV shows.
0: And I feel like, as a public, very, very generally, everybody's on top of the movies, and a, a lot fewer people are reading the books, so it's incredible to know that that's like under the surface of a lot of this Um, Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. They are, I mean, comics just due to the kind of nature of the serial medium and also the fact that, you know, Captain America, many people have different ideas about what, you know, a character like Captain America represents. Some people like to play with the um, more patriotic angle, you know, the idea of like Captain America involved in like world affairs or kind of foreign policy affairs. There's kind of the, Some people prefer more straight-up Avengers, Captain America stories. And Captain America, actually, in a very weird twist, was actually a horror comic. So Captain America in the, um, uh, I believe it was the late 40s, turned into a horror comic. And you had Captain America's Weird Tales. And it was basically an attempt to kind of reinvigorate the series because horror comics were becoming increasingly popular. And you saw... Captain America in these kind of very like twilight zone-ish scenarios. And it was basically him fighting um, in in one of the issues. He fights an army of gnomes in one issue. He fights Red Skull in hell in another issue. (laughs) He is time travels a bunch. It's, it's, you know, an attempt to take this, you know, very symbolism related American figure and just throw him into Like the Twilight, it's basically like when Baywatch turned into Baywatch night and all of a sudden the werewolves showed up, you know, most long running series have werewolves show up. By either curses and/or werewolf serum,
0: I think Baywatch Nights was one of the first cracked articles I ever read. Uh, that's a sideline, but it's great. Yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a Baywatch spinoff for people who don't know. And then the first season didn't go that well, so they tried to make it the X Files. So then suddenly David Hasselhoff is fighting like mummies and
1: uh, uh, aliens <laughs> and all this stuff. It's way above his pay grade at that point. I mean, before right? I mean, Baywatch Nights like tried to be the demure Baywatch. They'd just be like, oh, it's. You know, not just characters running around in bikinis. No, it's characters at sultry nightclubs and involved yeah, in dimensions. minor larceny.
0: And this Cap comic you picked, like, you, you sent me, like, a bunch of covers of it. And basically every cover is Captain America cowering as, like, an enormous horror ghoul looms over him. Like, Red Skull looks like Voldemort for some reason. And, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very curious about these gnomes. Uh, there's one that calls him the outcast of time. And he's like tied up in a dungeon with crazy, like
1: colonial guys. Like it makes no sense at all. In the gnome issue. I, I don't have not read the entire issue, but the opening page is Captain America. A uh, professor, Steve Rogers, teacher of English faces a problem in ethics uh, class. Uh, and a student is saying to him, but professor Rogers, you don't mean to tell us you actually believe the stories of Gulliver travels. What was happening <laughs> in that conversation? It's- I mean, like, imagine (laughs) you go to an English class, and Captain America is there telling him that, telling a class that he believes that *Gulliver's Travels* was like not an allegory.
0: If he's a professor and he's debating his students about his own adventures, is he Indiana Jones at that point? Like before Indiana Jones
1: exists, that's amazing. I mean, very well. And actually, it's funny. I never knew Captain America was an English teacher. I mean. Imagine going to an English class where your teacher starts, you know, taking a very literal reading of Gulliver's Travels. I think that in of itself is really
0: good. Yeah, English teachers never know the people from the book, you know? That's never a thing. (laughs) Exactly. And I do know, like, in a very, very broad way that horror comics were a big trend in the, especially the 40s and 50s, I think. I mainly just know that because in Watchmen, which was one of the first comics I read and probably shouldn't have been because it's like a take on everything else. Uh, but they, they intercut Watchmen with that, like, Black Freighter thing where it's a, a horror ship and he's, like, dying. And I tried to figure out why that was, and the internet said, oh, yeah, there were a bunch of horror comics. There was, like, EC Comics did all that.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's
0: interesting that they tried to tie Captain America into this hit horror thing.
1: So then he's just being yeah. chased by skeletons and gnomes. It's a man who dresses up as as a giant American flag, like having to deal with the supernatural is... Somehow, really funny to me. I I don't know why. It's like it's right. you know you'd expect like a wizard or you know some sort of occult investigator, not not Captain America. This is not his forte exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Was he like completely invented to fight Hitler essentially? Isn't his first comic he's punching Hitler on the cover and it was sort of a oh, yeah, World yeah. War II oh, yeah, era yeah, yeah. thing. So like you yeah, invent yeah. him to fight Hitler and now that Hitler's
1: gone, it's vampires, you know, or like some yeah. random thing. It's like, what happened to Captain America after the war? Oh, it got weird, man. It was just all the gnomes. Oh, so, it got so weird. There were gnomes and there were like another evil wizard, uh oh, man, uh yeah, Captain America is, I'm looking at these right now, Captain America is definitely teaching a lot of English. Actually, there's math, there's equations on the background of this chalkboard, so I think he
0: was just teaching everything. It's like one of those budget-strap schools where they have to do English math and gym
1: or something. <laughs> and the, one, the one teacher is Captain America, who tells <laughs> you that Oliver travels was reality. Like that is, He was having some wild years, it looks like. One
0: thing we can get into in general is, I think, as we look at this stuff, especially because there's... Tons of stuff on Cracked on this. I cannot wait for people to Mm -hmm. see the footnotes on the episode because like there is, by you and other people, so much going through just the history of comics. And it seems like weird trends such as everything needs to be horror will just work their way into comics. There's an article here. It's called Five Weirdly Specific Trends from When Comic Books Were Insane. It's by S. Stone. And one thing they pick out is that in the 1950s and 60s, DC Comics put apes in everything. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) the article says that they did a study that found that just their comics sold better when there was a monkey in it and so they started doing it all the time which is hilarious
1: it was the 50s so i
0: guess primates were really exciting you know it picks out they started a whole character named detective chimp (laughs) and detective Chimp (laughs) is a chimpanzee (laughs) in a sherlock holmes hat
1: with a magnifying glass and so
0: he's on the, on the case. <laughs>
1: the artwork is all extremely serious. It's all these, um, you know, just these very stone-faced men smoking cigarettes while they're on the phone. And a chimp is watching them. And it's, <laughs> it's the chimp they've hired to solve crimes. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> and then there's, uh, there's
0: this one called Angel and the Ape, which was about yep. a talking gorilla who was a private detective. And there's a, a drawing here of him flying a plane. Because uh, you know he knows how he's
1: he's a man of great yeah. talents who is a gorilla. You know, in a world where Superman exists, giving an ape a pilot's license is within the realm of possibility. There is definitely statutes There's statutes on the book about it. Probably
0: reality's real, real loose. Why not? Yeah. And then they also in the article they break down that um, Superman comics, in particular, in this time just got real gorilla heavy because Superman already a selling point. Why not max it out and get like a oops, all fun things of uh, Superman and a gorilla. He was attacked by gorilla in many, many issues, including one where there was a King Kong type named Titano who could like shoot kryptonite beams out of his eyes. And then uh, there was also a line called Superman's best friend, Jimmy Olsen, where Jimmy was transformed into a gorilla in two different storylines and then there's one where Superman's a gorilla, because uh, j- just we can't get enough. We can't get enough
1: apes. We need it. Oh, it's it, it's true. Although I I think it I would be remiss if I didn't mention that in those Superman comics of the era, every other you know issue was Jimmy Olsen turning into something. It was like Jimmy Olsen turning <laughs> into Superman or a giant turtle or a pizza or I mean Jimmy Olsen transforming into an object that is not a human being was. Something that Jimmy Olsen had to deal with nearly regularly. It was, <laughs> you know, it was like um, I don't know, vacuuming the house for the average human. You know, you to do it every once in a while, but like, right?
0: It would be on his calendar yeah, no. if it was like, like, if he had Google Calendar, it would be like uh, 9 a.m. meeting, 10 a.m. I turn into a gorilla, uh, 3 p.m. I'm a book, and then yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, <back> or something. <laughs>
1: 3pm of a haunted book, you know, and, yes. then, and then by the end of the day, Superman is going to adopt me as his son, and I have to sleep at the chaos
0: solitude. Well, with all this stuff, I always wonder, these old comics, I feel like they had such a thing of letters to the editor, especially Marvel, I feel like they really made a point of that. And I wonder how much fan letters drove this kind of thing, you know, like, were people writing in and being like, we need more apes? Or was it just kind of like, the people running the companies figured it out.
1: I don't have an answer, an exact answer there, but I like to think sure. that there was a child in the fifties saying, dear DC comics, thank you for producing all of this ape based content. It is really satisfying my urge for ape based content. And, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I guess maybe it was, you know, maybe a byproduct of King Kong. Cause I mean, King Kong was a, you know, he was a pretty illustrious ape.
0: It's true. Yeah, it was. I guess it was kind of the jaws of its time. Like suddenly everything was yeah. sharks
1: after that. You
0: know. Yeah. One other trend. Uh, this is from it's five creepy superhero origin stories. The movies wisely left out by Max Williams Pedalock and Diana McCallum. I feel like they found a thing where in the nineteen eighties we had all these sitcoms doing very special episodes, and then comics kind of did that too. I, I assume after the TV shows because, like, if you if you know anything about sitcoms, they would advertise as a whole thing, like. On different strokes, there's going to be a thing about like kids getting creeped on by older men in a molesty way. That's very creepy, you know. And then in comics, they in 1984 they rolled out a line where molestation was part of Spider-Man's origin. And then in 1985, yeah, yeah. Hulk was abused as a child physically, and it's like uh, they. I feel like they were like just latching onto any trends they saw. And so then, the wider world turns comics into something that they
1: had never been. I had that Spider-Man issue, and <laughs> while while I, I I applaud the I applaud Marvel for doing this. It's you know it's I think there's something to be said for giving you know children uh, the you know characters they they know and they're familiar with that, uh, and you know basically explaining that. To report these things, uh, you should not be ashamed and talking to an adult that you can trust. Uh, yeah. That's very valuable. I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate Marvel's mission with this issue. But at the same time, there is just, it is Spider-Man getting molested. And it's very
0: bizarre. So I'm, I'm assuming you like purchased the comic just figuring you were getting a Spider-Man story. And then...
1: I actually got it for free. I, I remember it was a free comic. It was a free comic. So on one level, you're getting an extremely valuable lesson. On the other level, you're getting a comic where your favorite character is molested.
0: So they like, I wonder if they thought they were like trying to do a public service, something like that?
1: It was definitely, definitely. I mean, Spider-Man actually was kind of par for the course for this kind of thing. There's a Planned Parenthood comic where Spider-Man is angry at kids for not having safe sex. And, you know, he shows up and there's a villain who wants kids to have unprotected sex. Um, and again, good it's good that these things were made and yeah, that, I mean, uh, you know, try and inform kids of things. But at the same time, it's a man in a spider costume.
0: That is because it's, it seems like that's a fundamental tension of comic books being a major medium. Like it's a thing where part of the fun is silliness. Like it's these people in spandex, it's these people flying or shooting beams or, you know, whatever. And then at the same time, it reaches so many kids that people feel like a public duty to do something with them. And so, like, both things are correct. Like, it's super weird to see a cartoon character go through these issues and also super good that they brought it up at the
1: same time. It's so weird. This comic also had a page that said, what the facts are. And again, it's all wonderful, helpful information about safe sex and about reproductive health. But it's also the big Spider-Man logo with his, like, little web (laughs) space. Like... You know, kind of overseeing it all. It's very, very amusing.
0: (laughs) Do you know know in general when Planned Parenthood did a Spider-Man comic? Like 80s, 90s? Looks like it was
1: 76. 76? Spider-Man is, you know, he lives in New York, so he's always looking in people's windows. So, I mean, I can see why it would be an (laughs) issue to him. Like, making sure that people are practicing safe sex and are... Know respecting their own bodies and the bodies of others. You
0: know. Yeah, I mean, it, everything about it is positive, and also it's the silliest thing in the world. It's great.
1: He's uh, a friendly boy, Spider Man.
0: It seems like comics, uh, people have been conscious of them having some kind of social role for a long time. Like I know, in a very general way, about I think especially in the 40s and 50s, there was suspicion of like, oh, are comics this menace that are like teaching our kids the wrong thing? And I think he picked out that between comics and the Batman TV show, they started to try to manipulate, uh, like, how a society read the Batman and Robin relationship. Like, is oh, it uh, I- uh, uh, positive by their standards or negative, uh, negative by their standards being gay? Uh, it was an interesting thing.
1: Um, I'd like to read a passage by uh, Frederick Vertham, who was a psychologist uh, of the time in the 50s. Uh, and he is... His shtick was basically, you know, that comic books are a corrupting force on children and promote, uh, you know, deleterious social values and things. And here, here's a passage that he has about Batman and Robin. And this book came out in 1954. Great. They live in sumptuous quarters with beautiful flowers and large vases and have a butler, Alfred. Batman is sometimes shown in a dressing gown. As they sit by the fireplace, the young boy sometimes worries about his partner. Something's wrong with Bruce. He hasn't been himself in the past, past few days. It is like the wish stream of two homosexuals living together. And so, of course, you know, you have this popular book and you have this authority making these claims about Batman and Robin being a gay couple. So you basically see uh, DC try to uh, add women to the relationship in confusing, confounding ways. Um, <laughs> the best of which uh, is Robin's Aunt Harriet shows up in the comic. And just starts living with them he is robin's aunt who i guess did not care that he was adopted by bruce wayne after his parents died on the trapeze because right that's robin's kind of traditional origin his parents died in the circus and batman adopts him I um, forgot, so you know, like she circus people yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so she she just she just shows up and starts to live with them and there's lots of shenanigans about making sure aunt harriet doesn't know that they're batman and robin She also appeared on the TV show and a producer did admit it basically was to prevent Batman and Robin from looking like a gay couple to have somebody's aunt come and live with them. I'm not sure how that works totally, but uh, (laughs) she was a facet of both the comic and the TV series for, you know, a not insignificant amount of time. Yeah. Look, we all know gay people's parents
0: don't have sisters. All right. It's just a fact.
1: I kind of wish this had caught on like... That Much in the way that there's many facets of Batman's mythology, you have, like, the Batmobile, the Batcave, uh, Crime Alley, Alfred. Uh, I really want uh, Robin's aunt to be, like, part of the mythology. Like, she's just like, and this is my aunt. She lives here, and she just, she, we have to pretend we're not Batman and Robin all the time around her. It's, it's an extra wrinkle to uh, each adventure
0: (laughs) especially if it was like super growly Christian Bale Batman and then just like someone's aunt walks through and he has to be like "Uh, I'm just uh, cleaning I don't know.
1: Like if in the Dark Knight it it became kind of like this big you know this big farce like you have the like A plot of the Joker trying to cause chaos and then you have the B plot of Bruce Wayne avoiding his uh, nosy aunt and like assuming a like Level of uh, disguises and hired uh, excuses <laughs> to make sure she knows that he is actually Bruce Wayne and not Batman.
0: Right, like it's like, do you know um the TV show Faulty Towers, like the John Cleese thing?
1: <laughs> nice. Faulty Towers,
0: like it would be Batman <laughs> Faulty Towers, like, but instead of running a hotel and tricking people, he's Batman and tricking people, like very, very garden variety ways. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, 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 it would be fantastic, like much in the way that like Batman of falls at the nexus of like superhero detective comics, we could have that extra edge that there is a, a broad disguise-based farce of which the <laughs> Batman comics are known for. Like, if there's not a scene in a Batman movie where he is like, uh, hiding from his aunt uh, using, you know, a fake mustache and a, an excuse that he's covered in question marks by the Riddler's question mark gun. He's like, oh, I, I'm just wearing question marks.
0: <laughs> right, uh, he's a punctuation enthusiast, and that's all it is.
1: I'm a punctuation enthusiast, on Harriet. Well, right, and
0: then it then it makes its way into $200 million movies. So then like, exactly. <laughs> this aunt is exactly. like fighting CGI monsters.
1: And, and much in the way that, you know, much in the way that, writers and franchises pick up different facets of the comic and run with them. For example, like, um, you know, dark Knight did very much Batman, not so much as the detective, but more as kind of the vigilante character. Uh, you know, we're going to flash forward to like 2070 and Batman is known as that guy who just runs away from his aunt all the time. You know, the superhero aspect of him has been lost to time and, uh, you know, crack 2070 is going to be writing an article like, did you know that Batman was actually once a crime fighter and not just a harried billionaire who ran away from the child who lived with him, that kid's aunt? <laughs> <laughs> not even his relative, right. Just a, a uh, random aunt is, um, is vexing him wholesale, you know?
0: Well, and I do, and I love that she exists because they needed to, in the real world, handle... Uh, basically, politics. I mean, it, it's sort of values-based politics, but it's what's out there. Oh, yeah. And we, you've picked out a couple other things in your articles. Like, there's uh, one, five superhero movie scenes they'll never let you see, where it's an 80s Hulk comic, where uh, it's the 80s. We're still trying to figure out uh, uh, gay people's place in society. And so then the Hulk like almost gets attacked by gay people at a YMCA and only yeah. gets out of it by telling people he can turn into the Hulk because uh, he's, he's a, a, he's not Hulk form when this happens. They're not like really bold dudes. It's an incredibly strange take on it. Cause I feel like politics exists. You need to be a very thoughtful and wise person to deal with it. And then also there are these comic book writers who might not be just getting to draw answers to it.
1: I don't remember the timeline for that issue but I feel like that was definitely like a kind of uh, aesthetic you'd see in movies like cruising, which is like, you know, a right. lot of times just being like gay men trying to enjoy themselves and meet other gay men so that they can have relationships <laughs> and not feel persecuted into like, you know, leather daddies. And like, that, I mean, that stuff is an aspect of um, you know certain communities, but at the same time, like it's, you know, this very um, pulpy distillation of that kind of, Aesthetic. You know the the yeah. new. You move to New York, and and everybody is just like you know, wearing you know you know motorcycle jackets and you know little little leather caps and whatnot.
0: Right. It's like it's all this comic book writer knew about it, so then he drew it for fans across the country.
1: It's really exactly. Weird. It's the Hulk, really, really, really pushing progressive issues forward. That 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 incredible Hulk.
0: And then other writers uh, across characters try to take on other parts of politics, and you found uh, it's an article he did called The Five Most Insane Celebrity Comic Book Cameos, where, again in the 80s, what a freewheel in time, uh, the Ayatollah exists in real life, you know? And so uh, DC Comics decides to make the Joker, like, work for him as some sort of spokesman, and it is horrifying.
1: Um, you know, the Ayatollah was, uh, you know, I mean this was of the kind of, you know, Rocky Four kind of uh, uh, big, big kind of like America, rah-rah stuff, where you would take, you know, international politics and, like, put the, you know, put the characters in the movie. I mean, the Red Dawn era and whatnot. But
0: right, the Joker,
1: yeah. the idea of the Ayatollah being like, yeah, I work. the Joker works for me now. This, this wacky clown is now my spokesman, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm in cahoots with him, is like, very much of that era. And again, that was, that did not happen in um, an obscure comic. That happened in the comic where Jason Todd, that you know, who was Robin at the time, uh, is killed by the Joker. And again, this is I mean, a lot of people remember that comic where you had Robin die and it was a big deal, and there was this whole, you know, media push by D C and there was this hullabaloo and there was like a dial in number where you can call and uh want Robin to live or die and like they you call you know, them like, and they
0: write down yeah, you, they like do a tally and then move on.
1: Yeah, and they and Robin ends up <laughs> Robin ends up dying, but the, the, again the part that no one remembers is that it's the Joker working for the Ayatollah.
0: It, it looks like in the panels in here he's like in a, a Middle Eastern outfit they're attempting yep. uh, we just did an episode of the show about uh, how the Middle East is diverse and very very interesting and then they just have the Joker in like a loose idea of what an Iranian person would
1: oh, yeah. Wear. Oh yeah Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah this was uh, not a particularly subtle or artfully done uh, story point.
0: Support for today's show comes from our good, good friends at Squarespace. I don't know how you use the internet. Maybe you use a computer. Maybe you use a phone. Maybe, again, there is some third way to get online that I don't know about. I talked about clicking with a third thing before. Now, using the whole thing. Is it goggles? You know. You're in the future. Well, with beautiful templates created by world-class designers, Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into its own new, unique website. You can customize everything about it from the look and feel to the settings and the products. Maybe you blog, maybe you do photography, maybe you just want to say, hey, this is my resume, this is me, this is who I am. Squarespace is built for everything you could need to do online. And you're just a few clicks away. It's that simple. It's dragging and setting up And people love it. They can also use Squarespace's analytics to track the growth of that website, to see where it's getting, who's checking it out. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. It sort of builds itself. And if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. So head to squarespace.com slash cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash cracked. Offer code cracked. Hey there, person. How often do you think about your socks? Well, if you're like I used to be, eh, probably not much. But I recently discovered socks that they changed the way I'll think about socks forever in a few different ways. They're from Bombas, and they're the most comfortable socks I've ever worn. I've got some high ones, so they're dressy and they're like fun patterns. I got some low ones for working out at the gym, and they all have this really fun like arch support honeycomb webbing stuff on them. I didn't even know socks could do that. We're talking a lot about Iron Man today. It's very Iron Man. If Iron Man had socks, they'd probably be these. Also, there's many, many colors and patterns and styles. So whatever you like in a sock, style-wise, you can get it from Bombas. And here's the best thing about them, in my opinion. Because for every Bombas purchase you make, they donate a pair of socks to someone in need. And they've donated over 7 million pairs of socks so far. They had seen studies and heard reports that people who are in homeless shelters ask for clean new socks more often than any other thing because you need them every day. You feel really strange without them. And so Bombus is out there to meet that need while also hooking you up with amazing socks and letting you be part of that work. So, what are you waiting for? Buy your new socks at bombas.com slash cracked today, and you will get 20% off your first purchase by following that link. That's a deal. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash cracked for 20% off, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash cracked. That also leads us into uh, a few different comics trying to tackle uh, a notable event called 9-11. This was not... Yep necessarily handled super effectively by everybody. There's one article here, Five Disastrous Attempts at Political Commentary in Comic Books, and uh, they have a Spider-Man issue here that was right after 9-11, and they just did like a blacked-out cover, you know, as like, uh, oh, we're grieving," yeah, yeah, yep. and that's very sad, so that's fine. And uh, And then within the comic Spider-Man goes to ground zero and finds like all of Marvel's villains also mourning because they're so upset. Yeah,
1: I get what they were trying to do there. I understand that they were trying to say that, you know, this is a um, collective moment of grief for America. I get that they're saying, you know, it was, you know, kind of working with some, you know, symbolic, uh, the, vil- the, the premise of the villains is definitely symbolic. Um, uh, I mean, that's how I read it at least because, uh, Magneto destroys New York several years later uh, in the, in new X-Men. He just, he right. just totally destroys New York. He like kills everybody. Like it's, um, it's so, and Magneto, if I remember correctly, yeah. Magneto is there. Um, Yeah, The
0: villain, the villains here, Dr. Doom, Kingpin, Juggernaut, and Magneto. And like, we get that Marvel wanted to say 9-11 is so terrible, even villains would be opposed to it. But also then throughout the comics, they damage New York quite a bit.
1: <laughs> like oh yeah, mind. yeah. Magneto, Magneto totally destroys New York several years later. It's from the release day of that comic. And Doctor Doom, I think, is notably crying in that comic. And I mean, Doctor Doom doesn't cry at anything. That's not within Doctor Doom's tears are not within his power set because Doctor Doom is awesome.
0: <laughs> right? He's I, yeah. I feel like maybe more than any other art form that exists like comic books are are really really not well built to deal with war or like a like a a violent explosive tragedy because they're full of violence and explosions all the time like that's what they trade in, and so they really don't have a way to like ramp it down and oppose that you know it's really weird
1: that is like the central tension in a lot of comics it's the uh, trying to take these totally uh outlandish uh outlandishly garbed characters um who also, uh, mean a lot to a lot of the readers, you know, they, you know, these characters have been around for decades, but also to tell compelling stories that use international, um, you know, international news and, um, you know, provide stories that, uh, address, you know, affairs in the world. It's basically like how on the Simpsons, when you had the kids, uh, they're doing the focus group for the kids and it's like, Oh, you want, uh, totally, outlandish stories featuring magical powers that are also extremely grounded. Like that is, that is the conundrum of comic books having to um, balance all of these, you know, narrative elements that people expect from comics.
0: That's true. I guess they run into that with the movies too, huh? Like I, I even thinking mainly about DC, like you see Batman go from everything from Nolan where he's border, it's borderline, just a full-on tragedy to 60s Adam West where it's just goofy and then like you have Superman where Zack Snyder just doesn't like fun Superman. So he makes him like a murderer. It seems like that tension plays out all the time that you're describing.
1: Yes, yeah, Zack Snyder definitely likes to play with a lot of the like Christ, you know, imagery and Superman. And I, I, I gotta say Man of Steel did have a, I was kind of pumped for Man of Steel when I saw the first trailer. Cause I think Superman works best when he's like, he's your quintessential best friend who will just, Kind of fly up and help you. So there's like these very you know Americana-looking visuals. But Superman actually, Superman at the beginning of his career, basically fought gangsters and like corrupt business officials. Like there was definitely a very hard <laughs> socialist edge to Superman. Like he would be like, oh, he, he, these jerks are trying to bust up the union, and then he would just like go in and beat up everybody. <laughs> he would fight for unions. Oh, that's, that's Superman really nice. definitely had yeah. Superman definitely had like a strong uh, workers' rights element, uh, which you know leans into the, I think, backgrounds of the creators of Superman. I'm not particularly uh, super well-versed in that, but that's from what I understand.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And it, well, and it seems like all of these political plot lines are very driven by like just the individual creator working on it. Like, I, I don't get the sense that there's a lot of... There is editorial oversight, but there's not a lot of checks on like just people's own personal politics going into a comic. Uh, like, oh, yeah. Disastrous yeah. attempts at politics article... They pick out uh, a storyline from an arc called Superman Grounded, where uh, Superman decides to just walk around and talk to people, right? No powers, just thinking, the thing we want. And, uh, <laughs> and so he goes to a place in Iowa where there is a factory that's polluting a whole bunch, and then he ends up sticking up for the factory so that the workers don't get fired. Like, the factory is violating environmental law. Superman is, like, on balance. They should just fix that later so people don't lose their jobs. And he ends up being, like, anti-environment for an entire comic.
1: My comic is, like, was rightfully made fun of a lot of the time simply because it's this, like, it's this super mug, navel gazy Superman. Like, the Superman I really like, and that I think a lot of other people like, is the, you know... The kind of un- unflagging friend of the people who is, you know, constantly. You know, it, it, I think that there's a really fascinating um, depiction of Superman in the Justice League cartoon when Bruce Tim is, uh, I think it was in Justice League Unite or something, when Superman says he always has to be in control all the time because he might break something, and like the idea that Superman is like a paragon of like self-discipline. I think that's all very fascinating, but in grounded, in grounded, you have this. Smug, crappy Superman who is walking across America, and people like come up to him. They're like, "Superman, hey, why, why are you doing this?" And he's just like, he gives them some like bullshitty, navel-gazing answer and just keeps walking. <laughs> and it's, i get why you'd want to do something like that. I get what, like, the idea of like a very intimate Superman comic could be really interesting. You know, because in a lot of times, Superman people consider Superman boring because he—he he has all the powers. He just, you know. It's, him just fighting some even greater you know, cosmic force than him, and but he's Superman, and he always win. I, I, you kind of get into an in- interesting philosophical space when you want to like write a really you know intimate Superman comic because you get into like, psychology of this like impossibly strong character and how he interacts with people and stuff. So I can see why you'd want to do Superman Grounded, but the execution yeah. is just like extremely bad. <laughs>
0: We'll link to it. Like for one thing, the art in this, like Lois Lane is dressed like the most sexist tomb Raider, Lara Croft yep. outfit and build ever. And, uh, and then also the, the like arc about this factory. It ends with Lois saying, uh, I'm going to go finish my story. Uh, it's about this factory. And you and I can talk about this later. So Lois is like, I'm going to still tell people about the factory. And then Superman grabs her and says, I don't think you heard me. I said, you can't run it. So Superman is an asshole. He like shuts down the press uh, in order to support pollution. Uh, and
1: that's supposed to be like this thinky, cool <laughs> take on him. It's really weird. Yeah, I'd just like to take a moment to uh, actually recommend a series which I think does a lovely job portraying an intimate depiction of Superman. It's uh, Kirk Busiek and uh, Stuart Immonen's Immonen, Superman's Secret Identity. And that is a series about um, Superman about a boy named uh clark kent in the real world and superman is a fictional character and what if someone who is named clark kent in the real world develops superman powers and that sounds like a weird premise but it's actually like a kind of sweet depiction of like um you know growing older and having a family and it's 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 actually just a very lovely comic
0: like with a lot of zombie movies or stories we always wish for like what if they lived in a world where the concept of zombies was known in pop culture, so they knew it was coming. It sounds like it's a a superhero comic where the people know about Superman as they become Superman. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, everyone knows what Superman is, but this kid who is randomly named Clark (laughs) Kent. developing superman powers and kind of how he deals with that
0: when we uh, we've looked at a lot of like uh like heavy or political or, or otherwise reasons that comics get silly let's also look at just like fun sales and promotion and money making kind of stuff because uh, you'd, you'd picked out this just amazing story around dazzler that pulls together yeah. like all of hollywood writing one comic almost it seems like
1: oh yeah um so in the 80s the character dazzler who uh is an x-men character And I'd say she probably had her most famous mainstream moment uh, in the X-Men arcade game in the 80s. You could play her. It was like her, Storm, Colossus, Wolverine, Cyclops, blah, blah, blah. And she notably was one of the characters you could play. Uh, She hasn't been in any of the movies yet. She's always kind of been this like tertiary character. But, you know, in the 80s, what Marvel wanted to do was have a project with uh, Casablanca Records, which was a big uh, disco label. And Casablanca did also uh, movies as well. And they wanted to create this big kind of multimedia sensation called uh, Dazzler. And Dazzler would basically have someone like playing Dazzler in real life. And there would be Dazzler movies and Dazzler albums. But Dazzler would also be a comic book character in Marvel Comics. And you had a scenario (laughs) where uh, Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, Uh, actually ended up writing a pitch for a Dazzler movie. I'm just gonna paraphrase from his blog here. Uh, Dazzler debuted in X-Men 130, and nothing much happened after that. Until one day, later in 1979, Casablanca Record and Filmworks, who not only was interested in the Archie's type recording venture, but also wanted to launch it with a half hour animated special. Cool. Casablanca wanted lots of Marvel heroes in the special, and while the stars uh, under contract to provide voices for the non-Marvel characters, there had to be characters to play for Robin Williams, Cher, Donna Summer, Rodney Dangerfield, the village people, and Kiss. That's everybody.
0: That's all of culture.
1: (laughs) That's everybody. And Schumer, (laughs) he ends up writing a treatment for the movie, which you can read online, and the movie is just totally crazy. Robin Williams is in it, Kiss is in it, Spider-Man's in it, (laughs) the Avengers are in it. Uh, Cher is in it, uh, I mean, it's basically like this this like big cocaine fantasia that at one point people were very much talking seriously about, and uh, they wanted Bo <laughs> Derek to play Dazzler. So what you have is this character who is just kind of like a very pop-up in a comic every few years X-Men character, at one point was like going to be the crowning jewel on Marvel Comics taking over the disco movement. <laughs> and also, too, to make things even crazier, um, the original artist, John Romita Jr., or Dazzler, uh, who drew some of the concepts of her, he uh, drew her to look like Grace Jones. So the idea of Grace Jones uh, joining the X-Men uh, is really something else. I think that's... I would read that. Sounds great.
0: Yeah. That's better than any <laughs> uh, fictional storyline. That just sounds really good. Is Dazzler, like, did Dazzler, Dazzler have cool powers or something? Or this, or this was just Dazzler,
1: like... Dazzler has very <laughs> disco-level powers. Um, she... Oh, okay, cool. Her ability is to take sound and turn it into hard light so (laughs) basically among muted powers it's not a really cool one it like it yeah it has like you know i guess battlefield utility but if you can blow stuff up with hard light but you can't and like i guess she made oh she made sound shows that's what she did so when she would go on tour and do her singing because dazzler was also a disco performer she would uh be her own light show. That was what she did.
0: Oh, great. So you don't need roadies or whatever. Great. Yeah. So the benefit of this power is
1: you save money on a
0: roadie. I want Superman to fly in and protect the roadie union. Have these comic book companies like always just wanted to build the giant multi-platform Hollywood enterprises that we have now? Like it sounds like at least since the seventies, Marvel has wanted to own all of entertainment and it just like took until the late two uh, thousands to do it.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Marvel. Marvel almost went straight up out of business in the nineties after the uh, early nineteen nineties comic book bubble uh, burst. It was yeah, Mar- Marvel was in dire financial straits uh, in the late nineties, and then what happened was uh, the shipwright itself. You had uh, a bunch of big marquee selling comic books in the early two thousands. Um, among them was stuff like you know Grant Mar- Grant Morrison's New X Men, Mark Millar on Ultimates. Ah, uh, these big kind of like era defining uh, comics yeah. that had turned the company around then they got bought by disney uh and you know it's you know they Iron man started was showing like promise so the Marvel experiment is it, it's kind of funny to think it's been like decades in the making to get to where it is is now, and it's very bizarre to see in one's lifetime and very bizarre as somebody who remembers when like Iron Man was just like. A nerdy character nobody likes.
0: Yeah, like I we mentioned it before. I don't know if people realize. Like, if you listen to Ghostface Kill albums, his other alias was Tony Stark's, and he would have like bits of clips from Iron Man serials. And I listened, started listening to him before the Iron Man movies, and I was like why is he way into this random robot from from comics? That's really weird. And he was like, uh, nobody else cared until it became the biggest movie ever. It's
1: really strange. There is a deleted scene in the Iron Man movie where uh, Tony Stark actually talks to Ghostface Killer. Oh, like he's in it? What? Yeah, Ghostface Killer is in a deleted scene in Iron Man. Yeah, there is a scene when (laughs) Tony goes to some party or something and Ghostface Killer comes up to him and says, hey Tony, and he's like, Hi, Ghostface Killer. I don't remember, I don't remember what happened to this game. It's 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 not exciting, but it's just it's just establishing that Ghostface Killer and Tony Stark are friends. That's great. Yeah, pretty good.
0: <laughs> right. So then it explains all the wrath album references as he's talking about his buddy. Yeah, that's really good.
1: You know, it really recontextualizes the, you know, Tony Stark uh, personality for Ghostface. It's it's just him like Talking, talking. It's like if Jimmy Olsen would made a rap album about Superman, and he's still like, "I love my friend Superman. He's so good." They're like, <laughs> be on that level.
0: I think I'd known in a very general way that Marvel had like financial trouble a few decades ago. I didn't know they almost went out of business. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we've got a lot of things here about product placement in comics, and like, it, not just not just like they're holding a can of Pepsi or something, but like their entire storylines and entire books built around putting a specific product in front of you all the time and making the product the hero. And when I've seen that stuff, I think like, Oh, why would Marvel, this company that's making the biggest movies in the world, bother to like nickel and dime their comics readers with these things. Uh, Maybe it's because they're like still spooked from that time. They almost went broke. Like they just want to keep making as much money as possible.
1: Well, the comics these days I feel like are kind of like Marvel's IP incubator. Don't get me wrong. You have a lot of good comics being written by Marvel. You have a lot of, uh, Good writers. Uh, I, I've been enjoying Saladin Ahmed's uh, Black Bolt oh, good cool. series. Uh, uh, just throwing out some recommendations. Um, no, we can we can link all of them. It's great. Saladin Ahmed. It's the uh, Black Bolt being you know of uh, the humans being trapped in prisons. Good stuff. I guess the way Marvel does look at their comics division, it's more of an idea incubator than the movies, which is just like the geyser of money. You know, it's just the multi-billion-dollar you know theme park thing that just everybody knows. And the comics division still exists. And, like, you know, yeah. comics are, you know, comics are here and thriving, but, like, the movies just make, just make so much money.
0: To give people an example, in 2012, the first uh, Avengers Avengers movie comes out, not just with characters from it, but, like, the Joss Whedon uh, movie called The Avengers. It goes on to make $1.5 billion at the box office. And then at the same time in comics, they put out an entire Avengers comic book that was Harley Davidson product placement, and to the point yeah, where, yep. like Cap and Black Widow are riding motorcycles around, which which is actually in the film too. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, but then the Avengers are fighting like monsters that are coming out of this dimensional gate, and the Avengers are overwhelmed by the monsters. They can't fight them, and so then a group of guys called the Road Force roll in, and it's just dudes in helmets and sunglasses on Harley Davidson motorcycles that shoot like laser beams out the headlight. And so it's an entire book where it's like, I mean, the Avengers are cool, but Harley-Davidson motorcycles. That's the hero, man.
1: That's it. <laughs> that, that, that's the real hero. This level of product placement, I mean, it's, um, it's its funny that they're dipping their toes back in it these days. I feel like this is definitely more of a modern thing because back in the 90s, you had, uh, well, actually not 90s, the 80s, 70s, you had the infamous Hostess Fruit Pie ad. Um, oh, get into if that! You've, yeah, you've never read Sean Baby's uh, reviews. Uh, uh, crack, crack writer Sean Baby, and also all-around internet funny man Sean Baby, who uh, has a career far beyond us. Um, he uh, <laughs> would do these uh, Hostess Fruit Pie reviews, and basically review like Captain America uh, saving the world using the curative powers of Hostess Fruit Pies and it's just his, his incredulity at the plot and how crap it is this is so beautiful and basically these you know fruit pie ads really establish the like tone for the hokiness of superhero product placement so it's fascinating to see that like you know basically nobody remembers them among young people so it's like hey maybe maybe we'll give this a whirl again because i don't remember anything right. as crap as that in the 90s um there's definitely has been some very stupid Product placement across the ages in superheroes, but the Hostess Fruit Pie ads were a, were a whole other level. They were there were <laughs> there were hundreds of them. I mean, Frank Miller drew he he drew Hostess Fruit Pie ads like when he was like starting out. It's so wild.
0: That was like the way in was drawing the packaging of a, a
1: tri- yeah. You had to you had to like genuflex <laughs> before the altar of pie man. It was you had to you had to do that. It was <laughs> yeah. you know the the. Again, to, you know, illustrate how weird comic books are, you know, the idea that to really hit it big, you have to do a fruit pie ad first. Because
0: everything you said, like, th- there's an entire article here by Sean Baby on Cracked called Six Insane Batman Comics Courtesy of Tasty Hostess Cupcakes. And so yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> fruit pies and uh, Twinkies and Ho-Hos and stuff. And uh, yeah. it's, uh, it was the late 70s and early 80s. Ba- apparently, basically all of Batman comics were a large commercial for hostess. It was just a thing. And so they would invent entire villains that just existed in these, like, ads for treats. Uh, There was a guy called Pigeon Person. And Pigeon Person, his overall plot was to gather armies of pigeons that he would use to ruin statues and monuments, right? Uh, I assume (laughs) because there'd be too much poo on them. That's the only way I can (laughs) figure out he'd ruin it.
1: What I love about these hostess pie ads are, like, they would never actually waste a good idea in the hostess pie ads they would just put them in the comics like if like you know you know, if, if if some like if, if if like marvel looked at the hostess pie ads and it actually was like wow these are compelling narratives um <laughs> pies notwithstanding you know they would just put that in the comics they'd be like hey someone someone do this so you have these you just have like the friday at five o'clock plot that marvel is just voting it's like oh yeah there's a pigeon and you know there's pies and <laughs> <laughs> that into a comic.
0: Friday at five is, is exactly right. Like this other villain is the gold eaters, which is a team of interdimensional lizards. And they would like beam into a place like Fort Knox and start eating all the gold bricks. Sure. And then yes, Batman exactly. would just catch them, tell them to stop and then eat a hostess treat with the cops after. That was the whole comic. That was it. The aliens get arrested at the end, right? So I'm looking at this. Uh, we've got, The uh, Batman and the cops have caught the gold eaters in this like vault of gold. And then they're like, hey, gold eaters, what if you instead eat these golden Twinkies? And so then the gold eaters say, Earthling, those golden bars you call Twinkies cakes are truly delicious. Creamed filling, too. And then the next panel is the gold eaters just leaving and saying, thanks for the Twinkies cakes. And also like Twinkies isn't bold every time. I just want to say that like the lettering is bold. Uh, Thanks for the Twinkies cakes, friends. To us, they're good as gold.
1: Uh, I like the idea that the morals are so simple in this comic that, you know, the the cops would just arrest the aliens and be like, oh, no, it, there's aliens and other species out there in the universe. No, Batman just showed up with these Twinkies and now we're arresting them just, just simply because we have no idea what else to do in this scenario. Everything is so above what we even understand as reality. We're just arresting somebody.
0: I look at these, like, especially 80s product placement things and, like, I... It makes sense to me that Marvel almost went out of business. Like, it is surprising to me that we still have superhero comics because it seems like they just mortgaged them to the hilt with these crazy commercials on top of weird plot lines where they're like scared of gay people or working for the Iranians. And I, I don't, I don't understand how we still have comics. It should have just gone
1: belly up completely. It's amazing. I mean, it's simply with with comics, it it's, you know to try to treat a superhero narrative as a cohesive unit, like. From start to finish, that's that's more of a historical exercise. Like, at that point, you're just an archaeologist, man, because these characters have so much history. You simply have to wait for someone to have, like, a good idea with, like, a character and take that character and have the audience care about them again. A good example is something like Ed Brubaker on Captain America. Uh, He wrote the Captain America comics, and they had a very kind of espionage vibe to them, but also, like, tied very much to, like, current affairs, and there was, like, lots of, uh, Lots of like, uh, you know, allegories for things and wacky stuff like that. He took that and like, you know, what was considered a hokey character. And I mean, his work on Bucky uh, as Bucky and the Winter Soldier, like, that is now in the movies. That's now how people think of Captain yeah. America. It sounds so weird, but you just have to wait for someone to come along and have a good idea. And yeah, there will always be Superman comics. There will always be Batman comics. But, you know, at. Maybe not as prominently in ten years. (laughs) It's like you know, Marvel keeps walloping uh, uh, DC in the movie front.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Well, and and you mentioned earlier too that like uh, the companies seem to think that comic book wise fans don't remember all this crazy product placement. You remember, and so they're doing it again. Like uh, recently, there was a run of uh, Iron Man issues where he teamed up with the M and Ms. And so the, uh, like the red M&M and the yellow M&M receive Iron Man suits from Iron Man and then like, fight alongside him, uh, which is just a full-on commercial for candy. Like It's not even a story. Uh, and then also last year, Marvel was about to do a whole line of comics with Northrop Grumman, the defense industry contractor, uh, and only didn't do it because there, uh, there was a bunch of outcry and protests on the internet. Uh, but they were going to do a thing where like, a team from Northrop Grumman keep saving the day in the way that uh the Avengers can't. And then also build in ads where the ad is like a, a split page where one side has an Avenger and it says dream. And then the other side has a guy working for Northrop Grumman in real life and says reality. And it's just an explicit, like it's not, it's not even selling Northrop Grumman products. It's like, come work for Northrop Grumman person reading the comic. Uh, And then people found it gross and they didn't do it. But that's about the only time this has not happened in comics. It seems like they go for it all the time.
1: Alex, I got to say, I actually really enjoyed the symbolism in the Iron Man M&M ad you just described to me. I mean, there's really a really important message about weakness. For example, like (laughs) Tony Stark is the man inside the suit and the M&Ms are just, chocolate on the inside and they are oh. soft and malleable. It's, it's really a beautiful kind of parallel yeah. set of problems these characters have. So I can see why they would be friends. I could see why Tony Stark would be friends in m
0: Your mailbox is just like filling with checks right now, isn't it?
1: m M&M m Barnes
0: sends me... Candy loot. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that's, uh, every time I uh, talk about the deep philosophical uh, ramifications of m ms
0: One other big trend that makes comics insane Uh, And we've talked about it a bit in some other ways, but movies happening and then the comics trying to like catch up with them. And you'd mentioned that in one comic, Nick Fury is, they say like, Samuel L. Jackson will definitely play me. Uh, But then also they did some like tricky writing to make Samuel L. Jackson canon, right? Like they had to work it out a weird way.
1: Going back, uh, you know, earlier in our conversation, I mentioned the Ultimate Universe. And the Ultimate Universe was the pared down version of the Marvel Universe that was for new readers. And then you had the regular Marvel Universe, which was, again, you know, all the decades of continuity. And so Nick Fury in the regular Marvel Universe is a like you know grizzled cigar-chomping kind of uh, military dude who has an eye patch. And his, it turns out he has a son out there who looks exactly, if not similar to... Samuel Jackson in The Avengers. So you had the Ultimate Universe inspire the movies, and the movies in turn made the Marvel Universe have to change their Nick Fury. So now it is a uniform Nick Fury across the board, and that Nick Fury is basically the kind of omni Samuel L. Jackson. Right, because
0: he, yeah, and initially in the comics, he was... Uh, a white person, and then also I think there was like some kind of movie where David Hasselhoff played Nick Fury, and so then yeah. the comics started we, to draw him looking like Hasselhoff.
1: I mean, right now, right now, like David Hasselhoff is like the rogue multiverse Nick Fury. Like, like right now, that <laughs> every all the Nick Furies look like in a universe of Samuel Jacksons. There is one David Hasselhoff. Like, and it's it's a very stupid adventure,
0: and it uh, will also lead to even crazy entire storylines. There's a cracked article here. Five Absurd Ways Comic Books Have Resurrected Dead Superheroes by Diana McCallum. And a couple of the ones in here are specifically just to make TV or movie changes work in comics. Uh, One of them, we had talked about Aunt Harriet being the uh, sort of resolver of Batman uh, values issues. And apparently the writers of Batman comics at the time, uh, when Aunt Harriet was introduced, they also put her in the comics. And then they realized that maybe they didn't need Alfred because like story-wise they kind of do the same thing. And so they decided, Oh, let's get rid of Alfred. And so they wrote a comic where Alfred rides in on a motorcycle to help Batman and Robin, and then is crushed by a boulder, uh, which is very, (laughs) Indiana. we keep finding like Indiana Jones stuff in this. I don't know how. Uh, So then Alfred is, is killed by a boulder. And then later writers decide, actually we want Alfred back. And so what they do is Alfred is like, essentially dead, but somehow on his deathbed. And then he loves Batman and Robin so much, like his heart wills him back to life and he won't die. And so then just suddenly there's a whole nother storyline just to bring Alfred back again, because the writers are just like, eh, I don't know. What do we do after, after TV and movies does a thing.
1: That is so cold. Killing Alfred with a boulder. I mean, like that, that is yeah. unnecessarily brutal. Like Alfred, who is this like very proper man is just like splattered. That's, <laughs> I would expect Alfred to be like killed with a penknife or something, like a boulder. That's utterly brutal. Yeah, he should be killed in like
0: a British duel or something, right? He like should choke really on a box
1: of Weedabix or something. Like, you no, know, <laughs> it's it's a boulder. That's horrifying. Now you're getting
0: Weedabix checks. How much more profit will there be?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Big weed a bit.
0: There's also this is one other thing from that Diana McCallum article. It's probably the most intense one of these. Uh so it's a whole Spider-Man storyline where um out of nowhere, Spider-Man has to fight a villainess called the Queen that had, had never been in Spider-Man comics. And the Queen has like a bunch of kind of nebulous mystical insect powers. There's also some like weird uh romance stuff between Peter Parker and the Queen. And then eventually she basically mutates him from being a human into a literal giant spider, like an actual big insect, uh, sort of like the big spider in Lord of the Rings or something. And then uh, somehow the spider dies and human Peter Parker like births himself out of the spider's corpse. This sounds insane. It's because it's what happened and uh, in the comic. And so he like births himself out of the spider's corpse And then it uh, still has all his memories and stuff. It's just like he's back. Except the one change is now webs shoot out of his arms instead of him needing like devices attached to his arms that shoot the webs. The entire reason they wrote this whole insane uh, Cronenberg-y arc in Spider-Man comics was because in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, they had let him just start shooting webs out of his physical wrists instead of needing gadgets. And so that happened in the movies and then the comics were like, great, we will retcon this with just a uh, really disgusting, strange story. Uh,
1: movies used to try to kind of like sync up a big, a big comic arc with like the release of a movie. Like maybe there'd be like a big X-Men arc around an X-Men movie. There'd be a big Spider-Man arc to like try to capitalize on the newfound fans that they, the movie might, you know, make. Uh, but eventually, I, I think they just, Stopped freaking caring. So, so this is how you have like arcs like this. It's like kid goes to the comic book store again. It's like, I want to read a Spider-Man comic and he gets this like body horror like scenario where like Spider-Man like now can fire webs out of his wrist. Somehow an idea of a teenager building a, a device that shoots adhesive is somehow more outlandish than a guy gang spider powers. Like they, I was, it's like, Oh, you know, we can't have the wrist, the wrist shooters, but, but we can, like it's like, no, it's, it, that actually is plausible. The Spider-Man aspect of it is totally fantasy. Come on, guys. You know, give them some web right. shooters.
0: Let's yeah. be realistic with our everything going on in comics. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> the idea of the web shooters, they add a really good element of drama to Spider-Man comics because sometimes Spider-Man is running out of web fluid. And if he has the wrist shears, it just means he's getting super dehydrate. That's just gross. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, now it's like we need to know about
1: right his water intake and stuff. It's a whole <laughs> I'm feeling very undehydrated. I am I need to because I can't create any more fluid out of my body.
0: Yeah, there's always there's always been a little of a puberty metaphor with the uh, the webs and, and in particular uh, ejaculate. Like it's, it's you know it's like it. there. Yeah. It's kind of like the the Batman Robin romance. Like it's there and nobody talks about it but I had never really been much of a Spider-Man fan and I think I am more than ever now with the, um, the Tom Holland uh, version in the latest movies because uh, they're good movies but also like he's sort of Iron Man now like it's all very gadget based and very science based which fits in with him and there's less of the like mutation kind of thing but i feel like the version of spider-man i like the most is movie driven and i could see that taking over the comics like as we look at these movies just endlessly getting bigger like infinity war was a massive hit and they're going to keep having massive hits are the movies going to wipe out this comics weirdness like are we going to get to a point where the professional hollywood work is so huge that the comics just aren't that strange anymore? Like, they just kind of get that worked out, too?
1: I wouldn't say so, necessarily, because, again, the comics are the ideas incubator. Like, the comics, in many cases, can do weird stuff, because they are not exactly, like, for many people, they're not the mainstream space of the franchise. That's what the movies are. Um, So the comics can, I think, actually afford to, like, do, you know, a lot of this, uh, a lot of kind of, like, genre reinvention, like I mentioned before with Captain America. I mean, in... One of my favorite comics is, um, Peter Milligan and Mike Alred's, uh, X-Force, uh, which is basically in the, in the early 2000s, uh, X-Force was a very kind of classic X-Men spin-off series. It was like, like buff characters fighting crime using mutant powers. And then out of the blue, it became a series on, um, a very like pop art, beautifully done pop art series on like the nature of celebrity and like basically mutants being on reality shows and they're all just like they're all just partying all the time and it's it's such a like bizarre total shift that's like one of the things that got me back into reading comics after a few years of hiatus what is both kind of horrifying and daunting about comics which is like the decades-long continuity and the you know feral storytelling also you know the, the flip side is also that yields some like really interesting reinventions of kind of classic archetypes and classic
0: superhero characters no? yeah i like that well because also i um i've done a cracked video about how i think batman and superman should be put into the public domain because it's been enough years and also they're just such long-standing things that we'll start to get better stories out of them if we treat them like the sherlock holmes and robin hood Mm -hmm. and other long long long-running characters that they basically are now they're more touchstones than like a thing a company should have locked down control over, I think. Maybe that is the the thing that pushes it forward is that everyone gets to start to use them in some way, like these comic book writers have gotten to do, where they just get to do whatever they want in like an office while the rest of Hollywood happens.
1: You can look at comic books, basically, a lot of these characters is basically like tools in the workshop. It's like, oh, you got your Batman over there, your Aquaman over there. And like, you know, on a certain level, you have to respect what's you know, come before you and like not totally fly out there else. But at the same time, you know, it's a lot of room for doing wacky stuff is within these characters. I think a lot of, uh, writing a lot of interesting stories. And yeah, you can invent your own superheroes. I, I don't know. I think at the same time, like starting, it's always interesting to have a protagonist everyone knows and kind of, uh, put your own motif on the character, you know.
0: And the best motif to use? Badminton. Let's see him play. Aquaman get We're doing it. <laughs> Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Syriac Lamar for knowing everything and living through like an entire era and sea change of what comic books mean and how much CGI is involved in them uh, in the movies. And hey you, why don't you dig into our footnotes where you'll find a wealth of material, especially from cracked.com on this topic. I don't know if our links have ever been heavier on cracked articles. The site's kind of a, a trove of this stuff. want to credit not only Syriac Lamar, but also writers like Diana McCallum, Max Willius-Pittalock, and tons of other folks who you'll see it as you read through it. They're just great, and they just know these books. I also want to thank everybody who came to our live show this past weekend. Who knew food is so spooky and so fun? Our next one is a whole new topic, whole new panel, and a whole new audience that I hope includes you. It's back at UCB Sunset Saturday, June 9th, so mark your calendars. And as far as this episode goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A place where every once in a while... I post a fun comics panel. Isn't that neat? You can find my Twitter account and some panels at Alex Schmidty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmidty.com, And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. Hey, friend, how often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, like I said earlier, I didn't think about them much. Now I think about them all the time because I am pleased and proud of my socks from Bombas. They're made from premium cotton. They stay warm in the winter, cool in the summer. There's a built-in blister tab. That arch support I talked about, the Ironman arch support, stay-up technology, and a seamless toe. And again, for every Bombas purchase you make, they donate a pair to someone in need. They have donated over 7 million pairs of socks and counting. Buy your new socks at Bombas.com slash Cracked today. That's bomba dot slash Cracked and get 20% off your first purchase.
1: This has been an
0: Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson.
1: For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com.